You are locked on Cougars. This is your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Thanks for joining us on a Thursday edition of the show. A lot to get to like usual. Elder Vice Sikahema, now an Area Authority 70 for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, will be our featured guest on today's podcast looking back at 1984, the greatest season in BYU football history. We'll get to that as well as was uh, the first day of the national signing period or the spring signing period for winter sports. We'll talk about the signees for both BYU men's and women's basketball as well as an academic citation for three BYU football players as well. So a lot to get to on today's edition of the show and we are proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network which is America's number one daily podcast network. With that rundown out of the way let's get it started here. This is Locked On Cougars for April 16th, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jay Katz, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for The Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah, and thanks again for taking the time to download this podcast to talk with me about BYU sports. Uh, If you're new to the show, welcome on in. We aim to be your one-stop shop for all the BYU sports news you can't find anywhere else, as well as insider information that you will not find anywhere else as well. Make sure to hit that follow button on the Spotify app if you're listening to us there, or the subscribe button if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to drop us a rating and review as well if you don't mind doing that. It really does help us build the audience, helps BYU fans find us, and in turn helps us find BYU fans who want to talk BYU sports. Uh, Starting off today's show, wanted to talk about some of the news coming out from BYU yesterday in terms of uh, the signing period that opened up yesterday. In men's basketball, BYU basketball coach Mark Pope announced that Dallin Hall from Fremont High School officially signed his national letter of intent for the to join the 2019-2020 recruiting class for BYU men's basketball. That also includes early signees Spencer Johnson and Richie Saunders. They both signed in November of last year. Other signees, including that of Gideon George, the JUCO transfer from New Mexico, expected to come in in coming days. But uh, nice to have Dallin Hall signed, sealed, and delivered. And I think he'll be a fantastic addition for BYU after he serves a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, we've talked about Hall previously on this podcast. Averaged over 20 points uh, for Fremont High School, leading them to the 6A state title. And he has no bigger proponent than Utah Jazz superstar Donovan Mitchell. I think that's a great endorsement to have. Six foot four, 185 pounds, all of the size you want to see on the guard line for BYU. I think that's a fantastic pickup for BYU men's basketball. In women's basketball, they added a pair of, of transfers from other universities. Tegan Graham from Colgate University back east. She's a guard coming into BYU. And Kayla Bells from Michigan State. She is a forward that will be joining the BYU basketball program. Bells, uh, I remember reading about her recently out there in Michigan. She is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She is from Ithaca, Michigan. She's been playing for Michigan State for the last two years and will be joining BYU uh, for her final two years of eligibility. Graham is a six-foot guard from Wellington, New Zealand. She played the last four years at Colgate University. She's got one more year of eligibility as a graduate transfer and will join the BYU BYU women's basketball program in that capacity. I think both of them fantastic additions. I think uh, BYU women's basketball, a little bit of a down year this year considering what they had done the previous year, but injuries will do that to you. I think the expectation 
expectations to get ramped right back up for BYU women's basketball next year. And you hope that both Caleb Bells and Tegan Graham can bring uh, some added experience to the women's basketball program. One final note from today's podcast we need to get to before we get to Vice Sikahema's interview is that the National Football Foundation and the College Football Hall of Fame announced that three BYU football players have been named as members of the 2020 National Football Foundation Hampshire Honor Society. Uh, the three players honored were Talon Shumway, Mitch Harris, and Bo Hodge. If you want to be a part of the Honor Society, it's comprised of college football players from all divisions of play who have maintained a cumulative 3.2 GPA or better throughout their college careers that concluded in 2019. There were 1,432 players from 364 schools that qualified for Honor Society honors this year in the 14th year of its existence. So congratulations to Talon Shumway once again, Mitch Harris, and Bo Hodge on those uh, additions. Shumway had a fantastic senior year. Hodge's career saw a lot of promise early on, but was derailed by multiple injuries. And Mitch Harris, well, you may not know his name, but you saw his play. He was the long snapper for the majority of the past two seasons for BYU football and just did a great job toiling in anonymity but doing a great job nonetheless. So congratulations to all three of those BYU football players on their academic prowess and being honored as part of the NFF National NFF Hampshire Honor Society 2020 class. All right, that'll do it for the first part of this podcast. But of course, as you've probably seen or heard earlier this week, we have had some legends from BYU football past on the show. Guys like Robbie Bosco, Jim Herman. Yesterday, we had Norm Chow. Well, coming up next, you're going to hear from Vi Sikahem about his memories of the 1984 National Championship season. A fantastic conversation. Vi has been a longtime member of the media working in sports and now a news anchor for NBC10 out there in the Philadelphia area. So we'll get to his that conversation here in just a second. Before we do that, though, a reminder for you guys that there is a fantastic uh, podcast that's just launched on the Locked On Podcast Network that I would encourage you guys to check out, and that is NBA expert Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. What it is, is it's a podcast where Chad Ford, for a, who for a long time was ESPN's lead NBA draft analyst, he had all of the connections, had all of the insight, did a phenomenal job. Well, guess what? He is now a member of the Locked On Podcast Network, and he's doing a weekly podcast talking with the best and brightest minds in the NBA. He had Bill Simmons this week on the podcast. He's had guys like Mark Stein uh, in the past. Check it out, guys. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, a brand new podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, guys, had a chance to catch up with Vi Sikahema. Now he is Elder Vi Sikahema, an Area Authority 70 for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the greater Philadelphia area. I believe his like his area of service extends all the way out to Pittsburgh. He's got a pretty large geographic region that he covers, but he also is a morning anchor for NBC10 uh, news in the greater Philadelphia area. He's done that for a long time after previously being a sports reporter for that station. Got a great career going. He's done great things back back east, but he has great memories of the 1984 National Championship season. I had a chance to catch up with him to talk about his memories of that. We'll do it in two parts here. So here's part one with former BYU star and NFL veteran Vaisikahema on the Locked On Cougars podcast. Please welcome in now Vi Sikahema, of course, a member of the 1984 BYU National Championship team, went on to a pretty lengthy NFL career, now doing a TV out in the greater Philadelphia area. Vi, thanks for taking the time. How are you? 
Jake, good to hear your voice, man. Good it's to been, be with you. It's been a minute, absolutely. We haven't, we haven't chatted in a little while, but doing this, uh, where we're looking back at 1984, I think you've got a unique perspective on this because as you and I were kind of setting up this interview, you mentioned the fact of how uh, influential your recruiting class at BYU was, the 1980 recruiting class. Uh, can you rehash that a little bit for our listeners of how influential and what guys were in the recruiting class with you? Um, yeah, we were just, you and I were chatting about this, and I, and I mentioned, um, you know, that the uh, our my recruiting class, 1980, was, you know, uh, we were um, just coming into our own. I, well, we were, you know, juniors and seniors by that time, 1984. A lot of us um, had either redshirted um, and would have had us, you know, places on that team. Or we served missions, and then we came back and and played on that team. Um, Robert and I was uh, was a starting. Um, let's see, he was a starting left guard or a right guard. He was one of the guards um, on that team, and uh, Robert was one of the few people who went on a mission out of high school and then came back and started his uh, his college career. I, I mean, that's. You know, it seems like everybody does that now. And of course, now that the age for missions is 18, um, more doing that. But but back in 1980, um, like almost no one left out of high school and went on their mission. Or you know, a year after high school, he had to wait until a year after high school. Then went on his mission. He came back. He was like 21 when he enrolled with us as a freshman in 1980. But but we were um, a really close group. And I think we we knew it the moment that we came together that 1980 year that Jim McMahon was starting quarterback and that 1980 team um, not the freshman per se but the BYU 1980 team was a really good football team offensively um, that may have been up there with the 1983 team that Steve Young quarterbacked. Uh, it was Jim McMahon that that team that he had that you know beat SMU in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know our defense wasn't great. Um, you know we had some good players, but but we were we were undersized. Uh, I mean Ed St. Pierre was a weak side linebacker, and I think Ed was at 195 pounds playing linebacker. Um, I mean that's just almost unheard of back in that time when most teams ran the football. You needed 230, 40 pound linebackers to stop the run, and Ed St. Pierre was 190 pounds. But my point is, um, you know, but the 1980 recruiting class that arrived in 1980, Steve Young was on that team, Gordon Hudson, Todd Shell. They were, you know, you had. I mean, how many recruiting classes did they have? Uh, two or three number one draft picks. I, I'm not sure if Gordon, I, I think I told you that Gordon Hudson was a number one draft pick. I don't think he was when I think about it. But Steve uh, was a number one supplemental dra- draft in the NFL because mm-hmm. he played in the USFL, of course. And, and uh, Todd Shell was the number one pick of the 49ers in 84. Um, but a lot of recruiting classes don't have two. You know, I mean, you go to the SEC, of course, you know, Alabama has three or two or three or four every year. But back in that time, it was rare to have a recruiting class that had two number one draft, uh, draft picks. And, and, and we had like five, seven or eight guys in that class that were drafted. And a bunch of us played 
had long NFL careers. Um, you know, Lee Johnson, the punter, was on that team, and he played 19 years in the NFL. Steve Young had, you know, over 10 years in the NFL. I played eight in the NFL. A lot of us played the NFL on that team. So, anyways, yeah, it was just it was a, it was a great year. We had a good group, and um, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so 1984, you, if I recall correctly, had gone on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and 1984 was your first season back with the program. Am I correct? Actually, I had gotten back because they had shortened uh, for whatever, you know, there's, there were reasons that the church shortened missions to 18 months, and, and I was in the very first group um, that they had, they had shortened the mission for, so... I came home earlier than, um, you know, six months earlier because of that shortened season uh, on missions. So I got back in 19, I, just before the 1983 season started, and they redshirted me, okay. which they, you know, they typically did for guys that were coming home from missions. So, but, yeah, but 1984 was my yeah. first year to play, yes. Yeah, so you're back playing in 1984. When that season, at the outset of that season, did you sense anything different about that team that maybe would have led you to think, hey, we could do something special here? Um, I, I did, and a lot of us did. Um, um, starting that spring football, you remember, okay, 1983, Steve Young had just finished that season. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. They were eleven and one. I think they lost one game to Baylor. Correct. Uh, in the opener, and then they, you know, they went twelve straight or eleven straight, and they beat Missouri in the in the um, in the Holiday Bowl. Um, was a really good team. That nineteen eighty three team was really good. But you know, there were a lot of us who were just untested, and. Um, you know the starting quarterback Steve Young was gone. Gordon Hudson just had just finished. Um, both those those two guys didn't serve missions, and so they finished um, in '83. I'm talking about the 1980 team again. Uh, Wayman Hamilton, the starting running back, was on that team, and he left. Casey Tiomalu was a starting fullback, was on that team, and he was gone. So there's a whole new group of guys that were that were back offensively at least. With Robbie Bosco at quarterback and Lakehe Muli would be a sophomore, and he was the most highly recruited, probably the high, most highly decorated player on the team coming out of high school from Kahuku High School in in, uh, in Hawaii. So there are a lot of untested players, but but you know that spring was a dogfight. Everybody was fighting for a position because there were some you know some open spots. Um, and and we just you know it was every day every practice every drill was a dogfight, Jake. Everybody was you know scratching each other's eyeballs out, you know trying to get a, a spot. And and I'm not sure that we knew then. We knew though, um, coming out of coming out of fall camp two a days that that we had a really good team. I mean we we just knew we had a really good team. And and the night before we so we go to Pittsburgh and we play there uh, to open the season. And the night before, we we always had this cheeseburger meal, and then we gathered and and uh, the coaches left the room and we just left you know the team that was in there. And you know guys got up and you know we were all speaking and they were I, I remember some guys got up and they were talking. They got so intense you know, they started crying. You know, like. Hey, um, we don't know. And you know, Pittsburgh at the time was ranked third in the country. 
um, and they were highly touted. And we just said, hey, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, um, but just looking at the schedule, we win tomorrow, and we will, you know, we'll we'll pile it on, and we'll go week by week, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go. We don't know what's gonna happen with us this year, but we're gonna go undefeated this year, and that's exactly. You know, I'm not just saying that to say it. You, you talk to some of the guys and ask them, um, you know, they'll tell you that. But it was it, it was eerie just how things played out and you know guys you know and guys emerged out of nowhere who would play kelly smith you know i backed him up that year kelly emerged as the starting halfback and had a phenomenal season robbie of course played great and um one or two times that robbie came out blaine fowler came in and and played really well in his stead everybody that had you know that that was playing. Mark Bellini stepped up and he played that year, and had a phenomenal year. Nobody really knew who he was, um, but we had a great mix of guys and, and great talent. Our, our defense, our defense was probably the best defense maybe at that time that BYU had had. had. Um, you know, Kurt Govea played what 15 mm-hmm. seasons in the NFL. Um, you know, was on that team. Um, Leon White played eight or nine years in the NFL that linebacker it was just a it was a great group of guys so Vi in the holiday bowl obviously uh, you, you see Robbie Bosco get injured in that game he comes back in later in that game you guys put up monster yardage I was when I talked to Robbie about this he, he said hey look at the stats for me and we looked it up it was over 400 yards of offense total offense for BYU to just over 200 for Michigan but turnovers were the key difference in that game Michigan collected I think three or four of them if I'm not mistaken during that game what were your guys' emotions like as you kind of just went back and forth and tried to regain that lead and finally did well you know we, we had been I think that what was we were playing, you know, in the Michigan. Frankly, was for all intents and purposes, they were, you know, they were a mediocre team, um, and we should have blown them out. We, we should have blown them out, but we had, you know, I, there were a couple interceptions, I think, fumbles and whatnot, right? Um, but, but I think for us, um, we never felt like we were. Um, we were concerned or worried at all because we had, you know, we had the firepower that was just a part of our BYU DNA at that time. And the other thing was that our our defense was the best defense that I had I had seen at BYU since my time there. Um, you know, Jason Buck was Jason Buck on that team, or was he? I don't think Jason Buck was there yet. I think I don't he, think he was he there yet. In, yeah. He came in the next year. Um, you know, Jim Herman was on that team, played great. And went to the Dallas Cowboys. We had, you know, on top of that, we had some games where we were really tested, and we came through the Hawaii game. We, you know, we won in the last, you know, second the the Pittsburgh game. You know, Adam Haysburg, you know, touchdown pass, touchdown catch late in the game. So we, along the way, we had put together. You know, we had we had a we had a body of work that college season where we had. We were tested, and we came through, and we played great. So nobody had any reason to, con- you know, to fret or concern. So I think, you know, that last drive, I think Kelly Smith caught the game-winning touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how late it was, but it basically sealed the win. 
But nobody, I don't think anybody was ever, you know, ever concerned. Nobody ever was worried. Um, and, and I'm not, frankly, I'm not sure that we, I mean, we went into that game, we were ranked number one going into the very last game, I guess, I think we played Utah in Salt Lake, and, and we had just gotten ranked number one when we went to play them. Um, so we had the number one ranking. But I'm not even sure. You know, it's funny, thinking back, now it's, you know, obviously been over 30 years. Um, I, I'm not sure that anybody was really fretting over even being national champions. I, I'm not sure that we were even thinking that we would really win the national championship if we won this game. We, you know, <laughs> we were going to go 13-0 and 0 and then we'll let, let it play out. Um, all the fretting happened after the fact, leading into the you know the other post game, the post those postseason bowls, because those had to be played out before we knew what was going to happen. So, and we were playing I think like late December, like December nineteenth or eighteenth or something like that, before Christmas. Yeah. So we had we had another week and a half to go before this this the you know the uh, college season ended before we knew that we would win the national championship so yeah no, I, I don't i don't remember anybody really fretting over uh being concerned that much that we were you know at some points trailing or or behind in the game because we we had been there do you remember where you were at when you guys when you found out the u.s had been named national champions because there was that interim period we had to let those other bowl games play out but when you guys were named national champions do you remember where you were at or what you were doing yeah, I, um, first of all, I, I, I had gotten married um, leading into the semester. I, my wife and I got married in July and just before two-a-days. So I was a newlywed um, that semester. My wife and I, um, my, my wife and I stayed in Provo. We, you know, we, we didn't have enough money to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. We just came, came back to Provo. And we were just in our apartment, but we all gathered at the at the at Lavelle's office um, on because the games were on New Year's Day, and and a lot of us came to the office just to watch the games. I think um, you know the bowl games, and and then the next morning. So I think January second, I want to say, is when we learned that we we were had been voted to, you know, national champions. But we knew it just watching the way that the games had played out in that bowl season. I don't even remember who all the who all the games were. Um but I but I remember we were, you know, in Provo. Um I think we you know, my wife and I were probably in our, our little uh, we were in White Mount Terrace. Okay. <laughs> in our apartment when when uh, when we got up the next morning and uh, you know, and it was long. You know, I don't. Not, we didn't sleep all that well that night because we were, you know, waiting to see how, how early it was going to be. You know, with no internet, you had to actually wait until the next day when the paper came out. Um, and and I think I, you know, drove down the street to go to a, a convenience store to pick up a paper to find out <laughs> we were national champions. There you go, Vaisikahema, or I should say Elder Vaisikahema. We'll let him explain a little bit more about his ecclesiastical role here in just a sec. You'll hear that in the second part of this interview. Before we do that, though, a reminder for you guys to check out the latest uh, Locked On NFL podcast mock draft special episode that dropped today. They're doing a great job covering all 32 first-round picks, as well as a few other picks for teams that may not have, may not have had a first-round pick. It's been a fantastic endeavor. I've been part of it. All of the Locked On NFL hosts and many of the locked on college hosts have been part of this just grand, uh, 
podcast special they've put together. So I'd encourage you guys to download it. It's the Locked On NFL Channel's Mock Draft Special. They started last Friday. It runs through tomorrow with all 32 first-round picks plus some supplemental picks for teams that are not in the first round currently. So check it out, guys. The Locked On NFL Channel's Mock Draft Special right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's get to part two of my conversation with Vi Sikahema. Had a great conversation in this part where he talks about his relationship with Lavelle Edwards, the brotherhood that has kind of been gleaned from his time at BYU. Vi has been working on the East Coast for the better part of, what, three decades now at, at least at this point, but he still has very close ties to the BYU football program. And we'll get to, to the, more of that conversation right now, right here on Locked on Cougars. When that season, when you guys were named national champions, do you feel like it was a a culmination of everything Lavelle had done to that point and kind of, like, I guess, solidified him as an all-timer in college football? Well, I mean, we for us, you know, at that time, Jake, we were, you know, I, I, came, I came into the program, you know, again in 1980 with Steve Young, with... Gordon Hudson, Todd Shell. I mean, we were all in that, you know, we were a tight-knit group. But when we got to BYU in 1980, um, that, you know, that group that arrived in 1980 up until the national championship season. So 1980, we lost one game, 82, maybe two games, 83, one game, 84, and we were undefeated. So I'm counting four total losses in that for the group of guys that were seniors, juniors, and seniors on that team, Jake, we we had we had only experienced four losses <laughs> in our college career. It's a pretty four. It's a stellar run, that's for sure. Um, so my point is that by the time we were, you know, we were juniors and seniors that nineteen eighty, you know, that nineteen eighty four season. Um, we were all a part of something special. Now, if you came into the program in 79 and before that, um, you know, there were some guys who were maybe, uh, you know, like Craig Garrick may have gotten there in 70, 78. I think Craig Garrick was a 78 grad, high school grad from Provo High School. But he went on a mission, he came, played one year, went on a mission, came back, and he was our one of our, our guards on that team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you were... You know, if you were in the program in the late 70s, like Jim McMahon was already in the pros, Mark Wilson was already in the pros, those guys had experienced, you know, some losses. And they they helped build the program to where it was. For those of us who were on that 1984 team, all we knew was winning football. You know, that, that, that was our experience. And we were all a part of the wave that had that had started back in the early mid seventies with when Lavelle took over the program. Those guys all built the program and by the time we arrived in nineteen eighty and we were all a part of that nineteen eighty four team like we had only experienced, you know, four losses in that time. And so we knew that we were on something that we were doing something special, but we we also knew hey, you know, we're not USC, we're not Alabama, we're not Nebraska and Ohio State, but there's something special, and we're a part of it, and we're you know, and we and we're building something that is going to last a long time, um, and we're and and it Lavelle's legacy was a part of that, 
Um, and the winning tradition that we we started was that in that era in that period, and we felt it. We very, we very much felt a part of it, and so that's that's so much of what has made it special. You know, um, we see each other at reunions now, Jake, and it's been you know uh, over thirty years. What thirty thirty six? Yeah, thirty six years. We'll you know have a big celebration at uh, the forty in a few years every 10 years we you know we gather but we see each other you know annually at at events and i'm telling you um you know part of the beauty of of this is like it like it is with family reunions you see each other you know once a year uh, you know we come back for games and whatnot Mm -hmm. we see each other um you know a handful of guys that passed over the years over that time and that's just natural um part of life but it's you know those guys are you know we're brothers then we're brothers now even you know we're grand you know we're all grandfathers at this point in our lives you know um and it's just a special feeling to be a part of something you know that was that unique what about Lavelle set him apart as a coach in your mind well I, I would put it this way and and I think your audience um, will appreciate it more because they're you know they're BYU fans and a lot of them are LDS mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them may have been e- even at at school at that time. Um, Lavelle came. Lavelle and Patty came on a mission um, to New York in like early two thousands and. And I live here on the East Coast. After my playing career, I settled in the Philadelphia area. And at the time, I had just gotten released as a bishop in the church, and I was I was serving um, in the region as a public affairs director. And that was their call. Their mission call was uh, in public affairs. So I asked Lavelle to come down here one weekend and do a fireside, um, and then do some training for our local public affairs directors in our area. So he did. And he spent a weekend with us. And that weekend, I, it was really, I, I so cherished that weekend. I'm so glad we did that. And, you know, we, we, we spent time with Patty since Lavelle's passing uh, a couple of years ago. But, but that weekend was really special for my wife and I because we, we got him here not just as our coach, but, you know, now we were, you know, you're never equal with Lavelle, but we were, uh, you know, we weren't player coach anymore. Although that that relationship, you know, is always intact. Uh, but we were, you know, more friends at that point. Not that you're not friends as player coach, but um, but it was really, really telling to hear some of the things that he was telling us. Like, for instance, um, um, he was he was he was he was talking about the number of guys who who had had you know these. Um, these callings in our church um, where there's a lot of responsibility. I had just served as a bishop, and there were tons of former bishops on the, um, uh, you know, throughout his, what, 29 years that he coached. Mm -hmm. He had coached a lot of guys who had become church leaders. Um, And a lot of them, at this point, I I don't think... um, uh, um, I don't think Gifford Nielsen would, 
think Gifford Nielsen may have been a stake president at that time in in um, in Houston. But a lot of us who had been coached in the program that he coached, um, you know, had gone. You know, Chuck Cutler was a mission president, and there, you know, and I'm just thinking Chuck right off the top of my head. But they were, you know, there have probably been a bunch of guys who have been mission presidents, and there have been a bunch of guys who were. You know, bishops and stake presidents, my, and, and and not that those, you know, church callings uh, are, you know, um, is everything, but it, it does constitute a certain level of um, of commitment in your life to be given those kinds of responsibilities. And my point is this: as Lavelle and I were talking about this, that you know, one night just up late talking and sitting on dinner table he he said to me something that i i just that had always fascinated me and i've i've looked back on with with great fondness and this is what he said he said bye you know i i don't know that i don't know that that i was there coaching um to win championships which i thought was kind of an odd statement to make he said he said i may have been there to help prepare um all of you for uh, for your lives, and now that's a that's a statement that any coach can make in any program, at any place, anywhere. Um, you know, coaches prepare their young men to go on and you know be be leaders uh, of industry and uh, and be leaders in this country. But I think more so for Lavelle was we were just kind of you know he was rolling back the in his Rolodex in his mind and thinking about the how many guys had uh, had done exceptionally well in their lives, um, not just playing you know in the NFL, but but guys who had done exceptionally well with their families, who had married well um, because they met their spouses at BYU, they met their wives there as I did, um, and they may or may not have had NFL careers. I had a really Nice run in the in the National Football League, but that was as important at that point. I was you know long retired from the NFL, but he was meaning he meant in and how the program and how he personally he I think he was he was looking back um, with great what it felt like Jake was he was looking back with great satisfaction that in his tenure at BYU that he didn't just create championship football programs, but more important for him was that he was he had created a an atmosphere that prepared us uniquely for our service in the church. Um, and, you know, and, and whatever it is and wherever we were living and serving that, that we were, you know that our service in the in, in our church, which is meaningful at BYU especially, was important to him, and uh, that he helped prepare us for that. And I, I've got to tell you that was a powerful moment. Um, I, I had been I had served as a bishop a, a few years before he came to visit, and I had just gotten released when he came, as I mentioned. And when I was called as a bishop, you know they tell you to, you know that that's you know. The church leader that calls you to that tells you that that needs to be confidential. You can share it with your immediate family and and uh, your wife and your children, of course. Um, well, I I had called three people that that needed to know that I had gotten this important 
responsible calling. I called my dad. Um, I called my mission president, and then I called Lavelle. And of those three men, Lavelle, you know, gave me the best advice that when I talked to him. Um, and he said to me, he said, Vi, if you, if you remember what we did at BYU, um, this should resonate with you. He said, when I was the head coach, one of the things that impacted my experience as a head coach was that I was called as a, as a, as a bishop in a BYU ward um, some 10, 10 years before I was called as head coach. And he said, and I, I have long thought that that, that that experience prepared me to be a head coach, his experience as a bishop. And he said, here's what I learned from it. He said, uh, I learned that I, the, the campus bishop at BYU, you needed to just interview the kids and know what their lives were like and find out what their, what their issues were, what their challenges were. Um, and and you leave everything to your counselors. And he said that that little experience is why I left everything to the coordinators and to the assistant coaches. And I didn't worry about the X's and O's so much because I hired really good men to do that. He said that he says all that came from my church experience, and as as little as it was as a as a campus BYU bishop. He says, I, I, I called two men to be my counselors, and they basically, you know, handled, you know, all the functions of running the, you know, daily function of running a, a campus ward. Um, you know, you don't have the youth programs in the campus ward, but you have, you know, the auxiliaries, you know, the um, organization of the Relief Society and, and the Elders Quorum. He says, I, 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 I let... I chose leaders to t- handle all of that, and my 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 role as a LDS bishop was just to interview the young people and just know you know who they were, and where they came from, what their family situation was like, if they had financial challenges, if they had moral issues that we you know we needed to work and help them overcome, you know if they were challenged with their grades, and you know if they were on probation by the honor code or academics. I needed to know that. I needed to do everything I could to help them. Jake, that was the secret recipe and the secret sauce to what Lavelle Edwards did at BYU, and he and he shared that. Now he never told me that when I was a player. I just knew as a player that I had, you know, if I had some issues, you know, I, I always went to Lavelle. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was on academic probation probably every semester but one during my <laughs> five years at BYU. I was always sitting in his office talking to him about, you know, <laughs> and he was giving me, hey, go up to go up there and see this guy and he'll help you know, get you some tutoring. Whatever it was, he was helping me, you know, fix stuff in my life and and uh, um and and that's what made him unique and so special that he he never called you in to talk to you about, hey, listen, you need to play better. You need to do. he 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 was concerned about your life being better. And he figured if your life was good, if you were in a good place in your life, you were going to give him everything you had on the field. And I think that was what made him so unique. Of course, you've moved on in your own church service. You are now known as Elder Sikahema to certain people there on the East Coast, a member of the Area 70s, if I'm not mistaken, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How has that new role affected you? Um... It, it has been, 
it has been a, a great experience, um, Jake, and um, you know, not not you know, the, you're you're podcasting to a wide audience, and so not everybody in your audience will will fully appreciate, understand as as those of us who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter Day Saints, and most BYU. Uh, alums are not everybody, but most are, and even mm-hmm. those who aren't, if they're BYU alums, they um, have some recognition of the hierarchy of the church from just being on campus. Um, but it has been a, 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 a just a wonderful experience, and um, I think about Lavelle. You know, every, you know, nearly every week. I don't think about him every day, but nearly every week. You know, I, I come across experiences, and I have experiences, and um, in my role as a as an Area 70 here in the East Coast, um, and you know, anytime you're you're in a leadership role, and it could be in the very um, um, uh, local level, in the ward or the congregation where you are, where you're, even if you're teaching children in a class, which you know. Um, my wife and I have done in a, in our local congregation. Um, you know, anytime you have a leadership role, a position uh, of leadership, uh, I've always taken it really seriously because the people that are that helped me and taught me, like Lavelle Edwards, um, like Lance Reynolds, and Norm Chow, all those people that I've had uh, throughout my life. Um, even Mike Holmgren, you know, Mike Holmgren, you know, wasn't um, and isn't. Uh, a member of our faith, mm-hmm. but he helped teach me, helped prepare me while I was at BYU for uh, everything that I've done in my life, including my church service, oddly enough. Um, uh, you know, and, that, and this part of our lives is important, you know, and, but it, um, but it, it you know, it, 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 it takes time to, over the course of your life, and I'm 57 now, it takes time in the course of your life to to figure things out and to um, and, and not that I have totally figured it out. I have it. I'm, I'm like everybody else, you know, in my challenges, my struggle, and doing my best. And, and you know, I have grown children who are married, and they've got their own children, and they've got you know young families, and working on careers and all those things. Uh, but it's never ending. That's what life is. And and Jake, I think for all of us who have played for Lavelle in that era, and in any era, if you played for Lavelle, even when he was an assistant coach at BYU, if you were around him, and certainly those of us who had the good fortune of being with him when he was the head coach, and you and you watched leadership happen in real time every day, every hour that you were with him, that has had an impact on many of our lives. Um, um, you know, and and it's had a far-reaching effect and impact um, that has crossed generations. And it has crossed borders. Um, you, you look at somebody like Gifford Nielsen, who was an All-American quarterback, played uh, you know six seasons in the NFL with the Houston Oilers, mm-hmm. and is now in the among in the hierarchy of the church as a as a general authority seventy. Um, you know, Elder Nielsen has had a huge impact. I, I think even more so than if he had become a head football coach in the NFL or in the college program. He's had a huge impact. Um, uh, you know, just somebody like Kalani Sataki, 
who's, you know, the head coach at BYU, the, you know, Lavelle protege. Lavelle's had a lot of those. He's had a lot of guys that he's, you know, that he had under his wing and who he's impacted their lives. And whether they were in coaching or in church leadership, you know, um, I don't know if the name Bill Ring will mean anything to you, Jake, but Bill played for the 49ers. He was a part of their first couple of Super Bowls. And I don't think Bill – I'm not sure that Bill started one game at BYU. He, he had like an eight-year NFL career. And Bill's not a member of our church and a part of our faith. But but Bill Ring has been impacted throughout his life. Uh, I think he lives in the Bay Area, and, and Bill has become a really successful – I think he's in finance. Okay. Um, and Bill has led a, a – Tremendous life, and and uh, everybody that that has been around the program and was around Lavelle has been positively impacted by the experience of being around Lavelle Edwards and being around the BYU program uh, in that in that time. Well, Vi, uh, can't thank you enough for taking some time to talk with us about 1984. Also, the impact that Lavelle Edwards had on you and a myriad of other players. You're right. It, it spans three decades plus. It's absolutely incredible. But can't thank you enough for taking some time. Look forward to catching up with you again down the road, okay? Jake, anytime. It was fun chatting with you and reminiscing. And I uh, uh, hope your audience well. And I uh, look forward to hearing uh, our podcast. There you go, Elder Vi Sikahema. Can't thank him enough for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. A fantastic conversation. You heard him talk about how much guys like Lavelle Edwards have meant to his life. Uh, he maintains very close relationships with many of his former teammates. Uh, just a great conversation. Can't thank him enough for taking some time to join us here on the podcast and looking forward to catching up with him again down the road. Look, uh, we're over time once again. This week's been some podcasts have been a little longer in length than they normally are. So if, if you're just listening to the podcast for the first time this week, you're thinking, sweet, we're going to have great conversations. Well, I can tell you this much. We like to have great conversations, but we like to keep them a little more brief normally. This week's been a little bit of an anomaly. Guys like the legends we've had on the po- on this podcast, I am not going to cut them short. But normally we like to go about 30 minutes at most each day on the podcast. But thanks for understanding that this week's a little bit of a special circumstance and appreciate all of your guys' support on the podcast. All right, we'll uh, leave it there for today. Of course, We'll be back tomorrow talking more about BYU sports with you guys. A reminder for you to follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Locked on Cougars, to stay up to date on the latest in BYU sports news, as well as the latest when it comes to the podcast. Follow my personal Twitter feed, at Jacob C. Hatch, for more supplemental news. I do more than just BYU sports on my on my Twitter feed, but you guys can check that out. And also, feel free to drop us a note anytime. LockedOnBYU at gmail.com is the address there and still running a special right now if you're looking to advertise anywhere check us out here on locked on cougars podcast we have a special half price offer for the month of april for local sponsors to advertise with us here on locked on cougars i would encourage you guys to check that out it's a fantastic opportunity to get your company your product or your service in front of hundreds if not thousands of byu fans both locally along the wasatch front here and even nationally and internationally i told you guys a couple weeks ago we're ranked in the top 100 in hong kong 
I don't know who's listening in Hong Kong, but I thank them for listening nonetheless. All right, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks again for taking the time to download the podcast. Hit that follow button on Spotify or the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or essentially anywhere you listen to your podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode of this show. Have a great rest of your Thursday. We will talk to you guys soon. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for April 16th, 2020. We will talk to you tomorrow.